to the Toffee Blues podcast. This is your source for all things Everton. My name is Thomas Robertson. Uh, here to introduce the podcast for you today. Um, got a few videos coming up. First of all, should Everton sign Isco? We had a couple of rumours uh, linking us with him in the past couple of weeks, so the lads came together to talk about that one. Uh, remember the name segment, talk about James McCarthy. Um, definitely some interesting views on that one. Uh, and then I'll be back towards uh, near the end of the video with Owen and Paul, talk about the match preview for the game against Fulham, and then we'll round off with our traditional quiz. Um, so James is going to start off with the first video. I'll be back later to talk about uh, Fulham. So take it away, James. Welcome to a segment where we will be discussing should we sign Isco? Of course, we have been heavily linked with Isco signing from Real Madrid in the last couple of weeks in the run-up to the January transfer window. So we're going to be debating whether or not we should be bringing him in come January. Before any of that, I do have to mention Christmas, of course, is coming up. So be sure to, if you want to get the perfect Christmas present for an Evertonian, you know, get onto Everton Direct. Uh, click the link in the description below this video if you want to get any deals on Everton Direct. But yeah, we'll get straight into it, guys. Should we sign Isco? Terry, I'll ask you first, mate. <laughs> I would have originally thought no straight away. Like a lot of red flags, you know, about his commitments, you know, his, um, you know, his professionalism. Because we've all seen the videos and pictures of him lately. He's, he looks overweight, doesn't he? he? Looks like he's not really in the best of frames of mind at Real Madrid. But oh, and also, he's old. Like he's he's an old player to be bringing in for what would be decent money and and probably very decent wages. I can't imagine he'd be on. Um, a lot less than James Rodriguez is on and that's probably we'd be our joint if not second top earner I don't know um, the only the only sort of fly in the ointment is that James Rodriguez presented a lot of the same problems like is, is his motivation going to be that he wasn't obviously overweight or anything like that but you know it was questions about what you know was he going to really be able to do it in this league he's taking a step down in terms of size a club and look how much he's worked out. He's been fantastic for us. So it makes me less like confident in saying no, just having had that experience. I mean, just based on raw ability, like he absolutely he walks, he moonwalks into our team because let's be honest, he's better than any of our creative players, better than Andre Gomez, he's better than Sigurdsson, he's better than anyone like that. Only question mark would be James Rodriguez himself. Owen's nearly frothing at the mouth at the idea of you calling Gomez a creative player. He's about as creative as me. <laughs> on paper, though. Um, Scott Wheeler from my Wickham football manager, but he said he's more creative than Andre Gomez. <laughs> I'd, me, me gut instinct is no. I just think it, we, we can't keep doing this. Like We can't keep just loading the squads with older players on huge wages. If we didn't have, you know, Sigurdsson um, or, or whoever, we, if we had like a much younger, much, you know, leaner, healthier squad, because don't forget, we're still, we're still paying, not for much longer, obviously, but we're still paying Yannick Balassi, people like that, you know, decent money. If we had a much leaner squad in terms of age and wage output, you can have one, two, maybe even three older players. If only, if our, you know, experienced, you know, big budget players were just Hammers, um, Allen and Isco. That'd be something you could have a load of young players around that and sort of, you know, complement that and, you know, help them out on the pitch. But we haven't got, we've still got a lot of older players, you know, like carrying a lot of dead woods. I don't think the squad is healthy enough. Can't to... carry one more like heavy wage and a uh, player who, like you say, like the commitments has been called into question. Yeah, I mean, the commitments, you know, could, I could be totally wrong. That's just me, you know, guessing based off, like, some videos and pictures of seeing what he looks like, you know, similar body shape to what I am. But, um, 
on my best day. But um, I swear to God, it's just... It's the only thing that makes me doubt it is it did work out with Hamas Rodriguez and I had all similar, you know, concerns, you know, about his age, his wages and his commitment level. And it's just completely gone the other way. Yes, he's on big wages. Yes, he is a little bit older, but the contract sort of nullifies that. I don't know. Isco, if he does come in, I'd, you know, be excited because he is a very good player. But on the other hand as well, I think we're just, we're good. we need to stop stockpiling these players. If you could wave a magic wand and get rid of a lot of the dead woods, I'd be I'd be all right with it, and it obviously depends on the deal. I certainly wouldn't want to be paying decent money for them, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Oh, what about you, mate? Would you bring Isco in? I'm going to say no. Um, I have a feeling you might. Um, I, the the I re, the main reason for this has just popped into my um is it popped into me? I've been listening to um the La Liga, the Spanish Football League podcast where. I do watch a lot of Real Madrid anyway, but it's been sort of entrenched by what I've listened to there. And they say Isco cannot play in a four-three-three in the flat midfield. He needs to be as a number ten, and with that's the last thing we need a number ten right now. Are these people just saying we need a number ten? Just must watch a different game to me because we need more. We need to sack the idea of four-two-three-one off. Just like end the story. Yeah, it, it needs to go. And I'm. I'm I'm not completely like Busteri saying older players coming into the team. Uh, I'm not really that bothered anymore about that because I've seen Hammers work and it looks like a bit of a mope like saying we need younger players in that in that kind of um, mold. But I just don't think he's a very good fit with the team. I go um I, I I do think we probably need someone to another midfielder to like sit in Allen's position so we can play higher up. But I'm not really in into in the um idea of trying to assign more creative players. Plus, I think if, even before we get there, I do think there's other positions we need to look at before we need to buy someone in that area. I think we need another right back, a younger right back to challenge Coleman, if not ultimately usurp him. Um, think well, I think we need, we need to a right of... winger to be honest, because like yeah, Hammers oh, yeah, and. Um, People say like about number tens. Why not just if we need a number ten so desperately, just put Hammers in there and sign a winger who can run. That, that's exactly it. I think obviously a right back, someone off the right. I think if Moise Keane isn't going to come back, we need someone else up front um, to sort of play under Dominic Calvert-Lewin and obviously the goalkeeping position. So I think there's there for me positions that are more desperately needed than another midfielder because we do have bodies and they're okay they're not very good but I think we've got Alison Decore who are, who are at the top at the top of the game at the moment and I think Gomez and Sigurdsson is, is, is rubbish um, but we're hoping Gabamon if Gabamon comes back and overperforms what we, we're going to expect of someone who's been out for about six years now then ultimately we wouldn't be having this conversation anyway so I think he, I wouldn't dismiss it out of hands and saying I wouldn't have him because he's obviously a top footballer. He's really, really good, but I, I, I just, I just think for what we need, it isn't something I would, I wouldn't naturally say Isco if he said a dream player could have in the team, but I wouldn't say no either because he's, a, he's a top, he's, a, he's a top footballer. Dan, would you have him? Well, after he. Listening to these two now, like, I don't know now because at first I'm like, Yeah, I'm like, Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I want him. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's an upgrade. Do you know what I mean? It's a you know, he's a, an upgrade on everyone. You know, Sigurdsson, for example, you know what I mean? And we need that, that just that star. I say Rodriguez is our star player. I mean, but with this goal, that will just set the ball rolling, and I think it will be an eye opener for everyone to notice what we're doing. We're trying to build a very powerful side, and signing the likes of Isco and Rodriguez as well. I think that will be the start of it. Do you know what I mean? It's just an upgrade, and you know, Higginson, he's, he's not uniting nothing in it, you know, like. I mean, he was just seen there against, um, you know, Man U, Southampton, uh, and you know, like, and he went, he went doing anything for a number ten. He went doing anything. You know what I mean? And, and he went, you know, setting up and 
linking up play. He just went doing anything. And I think Esco can. He can provide just that extra goal or two towards, you know, the likes of Richarlison and, and, and Calvert-Lewin. And, and I think, like, across the four, you know, it'll be Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, Isco and Rodriguez. I mean, that's just... To me, that's that's just great, that. But I think after listening to the, um, these two now, I, I don't know now because, you know, his age as well, you know, like, he's 28 now. Uh, his wages, you know, that can be a a bit of a um, an iffy... Uh, situation, but you know, he's a winner, he's a, a four time Champions League winner. I mean, and you know, you you won a side, you won a players who have won it, been there and, and 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 done it. So, yeah, yeah, for me. So, two dollars and a yes. Well, I think for me, in a vacuum, like I was sort of like when you asked me in the first place, I sort of didn't know, so I just talk to me way around it but I think in a vacuum I'd have the player definitely like he's got some you know issues but you know we've got a very good manager if we bring him in probably thinks he can you know get the best out of him but the thing that get bothered, that puts me off it is not the player himself that's not the the negative the negative thing of it it's the outside things the the things around it in the orbit of it of if you could say to me yeah, well, the day before we sign his goal, we're going to get rid of, you know, uh, Sigurdsson, Delph, um, Tosin, Yannick Balassi. They're all going to go out the door and those wages will be completely covered. And, you know, then we'll have less older players and only have a few older players. And the young players like, you know, Branthwaite and Gordon and that and, and Kunku, they're going to be, you know, make up parts of the squad more than these older players. You know, we're not, he's just going to replace Sigurdsson's position, you know, role in the squad. Then I'd be all for it. But that's pie in the sky stuff. We, you know, if we do get his goal, we're likely to get him in. He'll just go alongside Sigurdsson and Delph and all these other wasters who we can't get rid of. We were on decent wages, so I mean, I, what Owen said about not playing, not being able to play in a four-three-three, that concerns me because that is literally what we're going to play and where he's going to play. You know, he's not fast enough to play past the front three as well as James, as we saw. Against Newcastle, you can't have two slow players in the front three with Calvert Lewin in the middle, and um, it's just going to have you know we'd have to play in that sort of extra midfield position where Sigurdsson and and Gomez have flattered to deceive all season. So if you can't play there, there's probably no point bringing him in. Yeah, as a player, the lad on the podcast ironically actually said the position Hamas is currently playing. Which is actually his best position because he, he doesn't have too much defensive burden there. It might just be a Real Madrid thing. I don't know. I I, I wouldn't take this for for Bain, but it it will. It just doesn't seem to me. It, I haven't what I've seen from Everton this season, both good and bad, wouldn't be favoured by having this go in the team. I think, but another midfielder maybe. I just think. That there's a different profile of midfielder we need in order in order in order to get better, and I don't think that's true. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'll take him. He's a brilliant footballer, but I I I would just be looking elsewhere before I would go to Wisco. Definitely, I think it's obviously the price tag that's been thrown around around 18 million, which is that's not bad I, to be fair. It's not bad, that. but I mean we got Hammers for free. Cost of that, Jesus Christ. I mean, we got Hammers for free. I mean, compared yeah. to that, it looks expensive. If we if we get Isco though, if it comes off, I don't imagine we'll be paying money for him. I think they'll just let us do what we did with with Hammers. We'll just negotiate our way to. They want. They're not going to use him. He's just a drain on wages. We're willing to take him, and because we're not paying a fee, we'll pay them big wages. So I I think that's just posturing that we would, we got this with with Hammers. I think we'd get in for a nominal fee or free and just give them the big wages because they it's it's the same with Sigurdsson. If we you know, like I keep going back to Sigurdsson, but where didn't he's like their version of that? Like if another club came to us and said, Listen, we'll buy him out of his contract, but we're not paying you a fee, we'd be like, Yes, yeah, see you later. Or maybe not even Sigurdsson because we're using him. Balassi, someone's gonna yeah. do that for Balassi, we're just not gonna use at all, and we've not no intention of using. We wouldn't demand a fee for him, we'd just like be happy for someone to take him out of his contract. He's going to That's be off what... social media admin, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's got it on the club Twitter account. 
I like Yannick as a fella, but like we've, we've made it clear that we're not going to use him, haven't we? So it it would be the same with them. I I think we'd get him for another, you know, free, as it were. Mm. Yeah, but if we were to get him for free, good move, bad move. Oh, great if it's free. Even better, yeah. It's better than it because you know you're paying eighteen million or twenty mil for you know form, but then when you you look at it, you go Ames Rodriguez and, and Isco for twenty mil. Wow, all right then. <laughs> I mean, if someone's head to you that last year, I think I'll tell them to just go away. Like never happening. And then skip twelve months and I'll where we are. Never was I ever speaking about Amazon Rodriguez and Isco and Evan. <laughs> to be honest, it's just matter how how things change and having again going back to you know the 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 effect that he brings, Carl Angelotti. This is what he attracts. You know he's he's attracting these players because of his managed them and also his name and and who he is. So if it's not a skull. It can be someone even, you know, don't know who else he's coached. You know what I mean? It can be no, Tony. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. Made the dark depths of Twitter telling you he's doing a bad job. Apparently, I mean, what a load of bollocks! Oh God. That's really what it comes down to, though, as well, isn't it? It's if there's any truth to it, and Carlo Ancelotti does want him, then then you've got to go and try and get him for him because yeah, he knows better. That- We've, we've backed crap managers. We've got to, you know, try our best to back a good one, whether you think it looks dodgy or not. You know, you can't give Koeman free reign to buy whoever he wants and then, you know, when... Hey, do you know what? If we if we gave him free reign to bring Kukamati in for nothing, we can give him free reign to bring Isco in for nothing, so fair enough. There you go, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the best way to put it, I suppose. On that note, we'll finish there anyway, guys. Welcome to a Remember the Name segment where we are looking back on the a career of Everton players past. In this edition of the show, we are looking back on the career of James McCarthy, who, of course, only left Everton just over a year ago to move to Crystal Palace. But he did spend six years at Everton Football Club and there's lots to look back on. Before that, of course, we've got Christmas on the way, so make sure you get get over to Everton Direct and get your Everton gifts. Use the link in the description below this video if you want to get some deals on Everton Direct. So definitely go and check that out. But without further ado, we'll get straight into it. James McCarthy signed for Everton in the summer of 2013 on deadline day, a very memorable deadline day, as you guys might remember. We'll start with when we first brought him in. 13 million was a lot for Everton back in 2013. Terry, what did you think of the business we did on that deadline day? Well, the business on the deadline day was great. <laughs> the um, the thing with McCarthy, McCarthy was, um, it, you've got to remember, we'd already bought half of the Wigan team like that year. Yeah. So it was, that was the one that was like sort of no one was surprised by. We'd already, you know, brought in Alcaraz. Brought in, you know, Joel Robles, Pone, um, and James McCarthy. Now, to be honest, I didn't really think anything of him because I hadn't really, you know, he hadn't stood out for me at Wigan. I could watch Wigan, but it was like McCarthy, McCarthy. They were the partnership. They're at both the Palace now, aren't they? And when the deadline day came and went, it was all about oh, we've got Lukaku. Like Gareth Barry came in as well, and you know, it was a loan. And it was in the last year of his contract, so that was that was a strange one. I felt at the time. It's obviously more commonplace that now, but at the time, yeah, it was battered going. Have they got like an extension deal for him or something? Or but McCarthy, I think, was the surprise package because everyone, you know, knew what Lukaku brought. Everyone was very familiar with Gareth Barry, and um, Delafeu was, you know, was a young player from Barcelona with no, you know buyout fee in his in his um, deal in his loan deal so it was like oh he's going to be good he's going to be a star that's why they're not letting us buy him so McCarthy just sort of went in and was a no fanfare and he was you know I, I perceived it at the time as he was going to replace Fellaini in the squads because Fellaini had just gone 
a big He's money a big... we bought him for what was for us big money at the time. Yeah, so we we sort of replaced his position, the squad of a midfielder with McCarthy, but I obviously knew McCarthy wasn't what we were using Fellaini for, which was a number ten. So I was I was a bit like that at the time, going, "Are we going to change like formation?" Obviously, we now know we went well, to the. I do actually, I do actually recall the opening three games of that season before Fellaini left. He was used more of a defensive midfielder as Martinez used Barkley as the ten. Yeah, but I always felt that. Fellaini would go back up into the number 10 before he left, obviously. But I always felt, well, he's going to be a 10 at this club. Um, and when we brought McCarthy in, I just thought, so are we changing, you know, sort of the makeup of midfield? Because, you know, don't forget, Barkley wasn't guaranteed to start so two, three games into the season. He, he'd been brought in, but there was no guarantee he wasn't going to just come in and out, you know, like another kid might do. Obviously, then as the season went on, we got a very, very settled team with, like, you know, Barry McCarthy. Um, you know, Barkley ahead of them with you know Lukaku up front, but I think McCarthy was the unsung hero of that team. He was absolutely unbelievable. There was you know everyone was high on every player that season, but McCarthy. I I remember looking at him and thinking he's quality. He can be whatever he wants to be. Like Roy Keane said, he could be one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. You know, I I, I even was thinking like he's he's got like captain material and he's he looks really good because he held the team together. He was the First, Idrissa Gay type player we had that covers every inch of grass and like you know tackles everyone that we've had. Idrissa Gay since we got Alan now, the non traditional defensive midfielder, not a six, a sort of destructive number eight who like goes box to box and drives forward with the ball. But his main job is to plug the gaps that the fullbacks leave. Like Liverpool have got three of them in their midfield at the minute and they've built their whole like system around it. But James McCarthy was one of them before that was even a thing. Yeah, I think it was, it was. I always liked players of that ilk, and James McCarthy was brilliant at that. I, you know, I always found like you say he was the unsung hero. I think that really came to the fore later down the line, and we'll get on to that. But of course, we'll start with that first season. Dan, we'll go to you on this one. Like, what was your lasting memories of James McCarthy from that first season, where of course we did so well? Well, you know, he was everywhere, weren't he? He was, he was the engine. Of that team, he was he was just you know again he was he was everywhere. You know I mean he was uh, he went skated you know to 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 throw in like a a tackle. He never scored a lot of goals, which I can't remember. He scored no more than three. I'm not too sure, but but you know he didn't have to score. You know his job was to break up the play and just you know just disrupt the opposition you know what I mean and, and he'd done that but there was a game a night game against Arsenal and we won 1-0 right and the crowd was just a bit dead No, they just nothing was happening it was 0-0 at the time and McCarthy just put in this tackle and the crowd just turned it turned nasty and I'm thinking that's that's what it is we haven't that's what we need and and we got McCarthy and it was just the fans loved him. You know what I mean? Because he was the you know he had an engine on him. And but unfortunately he had too many injuries then and then he just went downhill from them. Unfortunately, because if he stayed fit, you know, he would have been even better, I think. Yeah, he, he was he was definitely one of the first victims of Martin O'Neill's Republic of Ireland war camp that just goes out to injure people every week, every time anyone ever mm-hmm. goes there. People just come, don't come back for it. And it, it's, it's ridiculous because no one ever comes back from that bloody country playing for them and they're ever fit. There's about eight Cop. of them now with COVID as well. <laughs> yeah. So he. Martin O'Neill was the COVID before COVID. Martin O'Neill, bloody. Martin O'Neill, what? McCarthy well, was great. Yeah. Just very unlucky, you know, yeah. for that you know, but that but that first season was, you know, came fifth and you know, we were lost out on fourth by what? How many points? Was it four, five? Probably about five points, I think. <laughs> to be honest, and, you know, we, we had McCarthy and we had Kaku, you know, Taylor Barkley. You know, it, it was and 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 uh, and uh, Thingy and Barry as well. It was the, you know, he was the one who put his arm around McCarthy and said, you know, like, watch me. And, you know, so 
he was his legs then, you know what I mean? MacArthur was his legs, you know, you sit and I just go box to box. So I like to me. Yeah, I think for me, the big indicator of how important McCarthy was to our team came in the third season when he was, I mean, he hadn't pulled any trees up that season, like from what you'd already seen, but he went off injured when we were 2 0 up against Bournemouth and that finished 3 0. And that was the beginning of the end, I think, for Martinez. I think that was the beginning of life before that. Jesus. Oh, God. But for for me, that was when it all started to really turn, was when we blew that lead against Bournemouth. And I think that came as a result of losing his legs in the middle of the park. We just started getting overrun. We started that season not amazingly, but we were doing okay until that stage. And then that was when we missed a lot of McCarthy for the rest of that season. And that really took its toll on us. We started to play abysmally. We were getting overrun by almost everyone. And it really started to expose Martinez as a manager and his setup. And by the end of the season, obviously, Burkhardt might have recovered by then, but it was too far gone. And Martinez was sacked, of course. And then McCarthy went and scored in the final day of the season, just after he got the sack. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, he had a bad injury as well, I think. Uh, Rondon got him, which is, you know, like break. And, you know, and all he'd done was just pass the ball back and, would he, and, and he slipped and he caught McCarthy. And then from then, I think that I think that was the last time I actually seen McCarthy. <laughs> um, he, did, he did actually recover and come back against Man United in the 4 0 just before. The end of the season before last. Oh. He's doing well now. Well, so yeah. Well, we've 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 skipped over to something important there. Dan touched on it before when we missed out on fourth in the champion, getting in the Champions League. I think that was a big part because that injury that McCarthy got when we played Crystal Palace. In fact, no, was he injured? Or I think he was resting. I know. I'm talking about the ball. There was another game. one of my matches. Yeah, he yeah, was. And Martinez was... got a bit too full of himself and dropped yeah, McCarthy. He and... them. It was the night game that got rearranged and, and, and we lost the Palace because that was yeah. that game to fans at all. You know what I mean? Like, we lost that game and we lost fourth then. So we didn't build on the whole game. Yeah, when we beat Arsenal at home, we didn't build on it with that Palace game. And it was because we missed McCarthy. I remember just cl- clearly thinking that on the night. And to be honest, I think. You know, you said then, James, about uh, the beginning of the end for, for Martinez. You know, like, obviously, it was well before that, but I don't think he ever did cope with, with losing because the first season he was all right, McCarthy, but then after the second season, well before he got this leg break, the injuries started to, you know. Yeah, it was always like muscle injuries. A lot of the time it was, as Owen said, sustained or an island duty, but like, Man, we always seem. We always yeah. seem to be losing him in fits and starts, and we never really mm. got to see him fully fit. Probably from like about halfway through that second season onwards, we never really saw him in full flow. And then I yeah. think the big Martinez, Martinez would make it worse though and play him unfit and, and whatnot, wouldn't he? It's now come out yeah. like, you know, in interviews. And, I think, and then when he was getting back to fitness, as Owen said, he'd go away to on island duty and obviously. You know, maybe their training regime is like on Street Fighter where you fight the card or something. I don't know. But Britain is back. Yeah, um, they, they would just come back injured every time. And like various Everton managers have had issues with the island management. Over but, on this, top, like, but on top of that, though, I think you, you can point the finger at Martin O'Neill, but also I think it was quite... Roberto Martinez's Everton teams were notoriously unfit. Hmm. Like, the way... A lot of hamstring injuries, you know what I mean? And and I think we went through a phase where we had like I think it was about four players also at the same time. And like it was it was more of like legs and you know, like your your, your thighs and your hamstring and your calves were going, What is going on? I thought something's going on here and you know, and but isn't that where Hingy steps in then, Bessich? Isn't that where he steps in and and then eating then he stepped in for McCarthy and then he kept then he had loads of injuries and then we never even seen him then. That'll be Martinez Martinez's glorious fitness coach, Dennis Lawrence, master of nothing. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about him. 
these bloody idiots got three years of this club bloody hell. Graham Jones, failed Luton manager. Absolutely. We had Barry McCarthy out of midfield and we couldn't defend. What a bloody turn up, honestly. <laughs> you follow football so much closer than I do. You know, if they leave Everton, unless they're like a really big name, they just like sort of evaporate into the air for me and I never heard of them again until they play Everton again. Or if they come into Everton, I haven't heard of them. It's like they've been freshly like made in a factory. Like, I, I, Graham Jones, I haven't heard of him since he left, honestly. He was the bloody Luton manager, even Nathan Jones, who won about three games, and Stoke was doing, doing better than them. Absolutely. <laughs> No, it was like people with the second name Jones, but Graham Jones, the man who didn't believe in set pieces. Oh yeah, oh yeah, was it? Oh no, every, no, what was it? I heard like when they, whenever there was a set piece during a, an important Premier League oh, game. Oh, the set piece glitch. Yeah, no, Graham Jones would run up and start shouting instructions as the ball was hovering in the air. Like oh, from the like set piece. Oh god. Yeah, them two old in midfield, and McCarthy was brilliant, by the way. I'm, I've got trust. I've got trust issues based on these Martinez years. I thought he was the man. I thought he was going to take us to the golden, the golden lands of success. And and here we are years later. And I look back now and go, how did I not know? No, when he was saying things like, "We don't practice set pieces. You only need to have a few of them a game." It's like, ah. Oh. I remember. He was good with David Moyes' team. That's the thing. He was good, and then the second season kicked in. I thought, this is your challenge now. And he just didn't build on it. You know what I mean? Wasn't even I thought he, he, he built on the team quite well. But he inherited David Moyes' team's fitness levels and just decimated that within like a year. Night and day, the difference in quality of manager. Wow. Oh, so um, that's key. There you go. So we can pretty much sum this up by saying James McCarthy gets the seal of approval and Roberto Martinez does not. Yeah. I really like James McCarthy, even when Ronald Koeman sparingly played him due to fitness issues again. Martin O'Neill, Ronald Koeman called him Martin O'Neill, the master tactician, never gets old to me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> What's that? But I, was, I really liked um, James McCarthy. I liked Gareth Barry next to him. We had Romelu Lukaku up front, Ross Barkley in midfield, Coleman Baines, and he finished 11th twice after his fifth place finish. So well done, Roberto. In the Everton history, you are fella. No, to be fair, that, that that takes some kind of like black magic to like make a decent team like that finish in the bottom half twice. It, it was a decent team. I, I mean, it was really well balanced as well. I mean, we went through a spell of really crap wingers, but yeah, I mean, Martinez is just uh, I, I, I don't want to talk about the man, honestly. He, he yeah, does me. We we'll finish by uh, talking about. Memories of James McCarthy. What was your best memory of James McCarthy, Owen? Um, did he really put a really horrible tackle in on someone once? Because I remember. Oh no, my god! Yeah. That, that was my favorite. That was my favorite James McCarthy moment. Yeah, because oh, like, <laughs> like the West Ham fans' head fell off. Yeah, because oh, he was god. their star player, and I, I really hate West It was Ham literally. Fans. It was like. The Pickford thing with Van Dyke, but there was genuine intent to fucking snap him. He, no, he was, it was that, that Pius, I remember that game. He drew one run, he was a right prick before and diving all over the place. And McCarthy dealt with him, trust me. Yeah, Dan, last the memory well, of McCarthy. Well, you know, I actually that thing that Pius tackles to slip my mind there. So it's either that one or the one I said earlier on there against Arsenal. The game, the game was just dead on its ass. You know what I mean? And um, he just put in this tackle, and I can't remember on who, and the crowd just turned, and it was like it was turned to a bear pit because of that. And we won one nil. Ashley Williams one nil. Gladys Street. <laughs> so, ah, that game, yeah. Yeah, Terry, what about you, mate? Not so much McCarthy memory, just a, a team memory that he was involved in. But the the three nil win over Arsenal. Um, at home, when it, you know we, it, oh, yeah. really, it really did feel like that game that we were going to get fourth because we were just on fire and we absolutely battered Arsenal. And it wasn't even like McCarthy was like a you know major you know talking point to the game, but just anyone involved in that game, I just that's one of my overriding like positive memories of him because that that for me encapsulated that season. 
Brilliant. Yeah, I, I, almost, I almost like Roberto Martinez after that game. <laughs> almost. <laughs> we'll emphasise the almost yeah. there. But um, I think that was it. James McCarthy encapsulates all that was good about that season when we finished fifth. And he was a, the unsung hero of that team. I think you, you nailed it with that one earlier on, Terry. I think to me, the lasting memory of McCarthy is just literally getting all over the pitch. I think they remember, I remember the joke. Um, was it 70% of the world is covered by water and the rest by James McCarthy? <laughs> Palace fans say that about him and James McCarthy, the pair of buzzy, the mental in midfield, the amount of balls they went back. Yeah. And before it turns into a Crystal Palace tactic show with Owen, uh, we'll finish on that yeah, note. Uh, already done them this week. We'll finish on that note, guys. Thomas joined today by Paul McAllister and Owen Parks uh, previewing our match on Sunday against Fulham. Uh, it's been a it's been what it seems like a long international break. Everyone's coming back with about five injuries, seven suspensions. Seamus Coleman's lost a leg on international duty. Uh, and we that's don't really know what's going Ireland. on. Exactly. I'm not going to start Owen off on his Republic of Ireland theories, but I do completely believe him and uh, that no one ever comes back fit from playing for them. But we're here to preview Fulham a team that have obviously just been promoted to the Premier League. So far, eight games played, I believe it is. Six losses, one win, one draw. Not the best game, uh, not the best season so far. Definitely a game we should be looking to win, especially coming off the run of um, you know, so, some poor form. I'll start with Owen. Owen, what are your thoughts on Fulham in general? What are your thoughts on Scott Parker as a manager and, and the team they've got there? You're setting me up here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's difficult, I think. When he first came up a couple of years ago, they had Slavisa Jakanovic. He has a really, he has a really good championship record of getting teams out of that division. They presumed give him loads of money, he would finish mid table. It didn't work out. They conceded loads of goals, brought Claudio Ranieri in to be more defensive. Didn't suit the players he had, and then Scott Parker just came in towards the end and just put an arm around the players, and he got some decent results enough for him to get the job. And then last season. I mean, yeah, I think they had probably the, one of the best teams in the league. They, they came up ultimately, but they made hard work of it. I think if you looked at the teams, they were in the playoffs with they're by far the best squad, I think, within that bunch anyway. And they came up and then so far it's been difficult, but it was always going to be difficult. Scott Parker's a very inexperienced coach, obviously. Only really been coaching since he was given the interim spell there, so... He's done well. His teams are very, very open at the back. I mean, they, they like to play open, expansive football, which, I mean, it can work for them at times. They, they do carve teams open. They played well against West Brom. I don't know the game before. No, the last game was when Adam Muller made an absolute tit of himself. But the one before that, they played West Brom. And um, they played pretty well. But it's difficult. And so... I would expect Everton to have way too much of Fulham, but it's Fulham away for some reason. That that isn't the best place for us to play. But if you if you stripped everything back, um, Everton, I should have far too much of Fulham. Yeah, um, Paul, do you, do you agree with that? Do you, what do you? Um, how would you assess Fulham's squad? Um, their squad's weird. There's a couple of players who've been there for a while. We've kind of um, we're in, with them the last time they were in the Premier League like Mitrovic and um, Tim Ream, the centre-half, the American. Um, and there's a couple of others who've just kind of come in on loan or in the past year who've come from bigger clubs but took a step down, like the likes of Loftus-Cheeks. Loftus-Cheek is there on loan, isn't he? Um, Luchman, the aforementioned Adam Ola Luchman's rocked up there. They've got that goalkeeper, Ariola, who used to play for PSG, was the number one there for a few years. And, of course, they've got Anthony Robertson, who was once at Everton as well and then went, went to Wigan and proved himself. So, on paper, when you look at their squad, it, it should look good enough to stay up, but it just seems like it's part of it. And I don't necessarily blame him. He's, an, he's a young manager. He's learning. He probably hasn't fully carved out his identity yet as a coach. It, it just doesn't seem like they have any specific way that they stick to. And it, it, it can, you can tell because they just look very, very disjointed. 
and don't just oof the ball up to Mitrovic. Like a lot of teams down the bottom do, they don't just pass it for passing its sake, like uh, Bournemouth used to do. They don't look to sit back and just defend and nick one on the counter. It's just, I'm, it's weird trying to work out what time, type of team they are. But Scott Parker, I like him. I liked him as a player. I like him as a person as well. I think he comes across very well and he speaks a lot of sense and he doesn't. He doesn't talk like the likes of um, set managers where he'd rather just have a set, set amount of passes than he would score. He seems like he's a manager who knows exactly what his team are capable of and what they uh, should be achieving. And that's what he's focused on rather than just impressing neutrals with passing, passing, passing. So we should have too much for them. I, I don't think they're going to stay up based on what I've seen so far. They've only won one game. Bit a bit unlucky in others, but... Unless something dramatic happens, like a team in, that are above them just fall off the edge of a cliff, I think Fulham are going to find it hard to stay up. And there's absolutely no excuse to not be beating teams who you'd say are going to go down and pull more away. Yeah, and then as you mentioned there, I think I think they did some decent transfer business. To be fair, Ariola was a player who looked decent for PSG at times. Obviously, his career kind of dropped off after that. He's ended up at Fulham. I thought that was a good deal. We all know about Adam Ola-Luckman. It's just written in the stars that he's going to score against us. Um, no matter how poorly he's done at Leipzig or anywhere else, that, that that's a player that I'm, I'm very nervous about. You've got to see Robinson. I, I haven't really kept track to see whether he's playing for the one not. Obviously, they had Joe Bryan when they came up. So I think they did make some good transfer business. Scott Parker, as, as Owen mentioned, he's an inexperienced manager, but he did bring them up at, at the end of the day. It, it's no easy feat, I don't think, in the championship. Um, so inexperienced but he's clearly proven himself so far. That's why they've stuck with him. Um, they've only been relegated like two years. Obviously, he was the interim manager just before they got relegated. And then we turned up to Craven Cottage and got bullied by Mitrovic for a day, which um, definitely haunted me for, for quite a while. It was the most ridiculous result. I think we'd come off the back of three or four wins, turn up away yeah. at Fulham. They were already yeah, relegated. That, that was the day I found a footballer who'd move slower than me, Phil Jagielka. Yeah. <laughs> Jagged, that, but that was to be honest. That was the day Jaggy Elka's career ended. Essentially, he never played for Everton again. He's, I don't think he's hardly played at all down at Sheffield, has he? I don't even know what he's called there, to be honest. No, I don't. And I, that, that's harsh because I do like Jaggy Elka and he was good for Everton, but that his career just ended that day, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. As, as I mentioned, we are coming in off the back of an international break. Some people saw it as maybe a slight positive because we get a break from that poor form we were on. I don't have an exact list of who's playing and who's not because we're recording this ahead of Ancelotti's press conference. I think we know Coleman was out with an injury. Yeri Mina might have been out with an injury. I think Alan might have been. Richardson might have even been at some point, but I'm not sure about that one. Um, are there any other players that you two can think of that have come out with an injury? There's always a surprise one and there's always a couple of surprises who are fit. So uh, after waiting for Carlo for that. Yeah, so those that were hopeful of coming off the international break with a, with a full string squad. Whoever, I think went, unlikely. whoever went to Ireland, just write them off. Yeah, basically. So, Paul, what, how do you think we'll line up then? Because obviously we've been out, we've been without the majority of the squad for, well, the, the key players in the squad for a while between Dean and Richardson's suspensions. Uh, Hamas has been, his fitness has been on and off, but he did captain um, <laughs> Colombia in that historic 6-1 loss to Ecuador. That one's going to go down the history books for Hamas there. How do you think we're going to be lined up against Fulham, Paul? I wouldn't be shocked if we see a much change lineup, even if players are not injured, because a lot of them have been travelling quite far and will probably be tired because it's nearly kick-off and as you said Hammers played for Colombia against Hammers uh, played for Colombia against Ecuador and that's thousands of miles away so that's a long ass flight for him and Yeri Mina um, Wobi was playing in Nigeria for Sierra Leone yeah so he's yeah. Yeah, he, that's <laughs> that memorable 4-4 he's, he's had a lot of travelling you name all these results and I don't know one of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, what I'm saying is all our international players, they haven't all just been playing the home nations or playing countries in and around Europe. Most of them have been going to South America and Africa and just Central America, thousands of miles away. So it's long flights they're going to be on. So I wouldn't be shocked if Angelotti just looks at them and thinks, right, it's Fulham. We can probably get away with playing the likes of a Bernard in this this game or maybe a if he's fit. Um a John Joe Kenny or someone like that, or I wouldn't even be shocked if we see um, Richarlison not make the squad because I know he got apparently he's okay. He, I know he got he took a heavy one off Cavani, but players like Bat and Alan and Yeri Mina, 
even though they've not played for their international teams, I wouldn't be surprised if we just see them dropped and the likes of um, Godfrey come in again and plays in centre-half and we just decide to uh, change it up and give players another chance. Anthony Gordon was the one I was thinking of. I wouldn't be shocked if Anthony Gordon comes into the team to give him a chance because this is the perfect type of game you'd think. It won't be, he's playing against the team that has low on confidence, not spectacular footballers, and it's a chance to make a mark for himself. And he's fresh, he's not played for two weeks. So I'm hopeful that we don't have injuries, but even if we don't have injuries, I'm not expecting to see a 100% fit evidence side. I, just, I think Angelotti's going to shuffle the deck here, to be honest. Yeah, and then on the other side of the coin, Owen, because I, I know you mentioned you, you don't like international football, you haven't been keeping track of the results. Um, if you look at Fulham's side, obviously we've mentioned a couple of players so far. Mitrovic, we, we always seem to hate playing against a big striker for no apparent reason. Uh, Luckman, we know, is bound to haunt us. Um, are they two of the players you, you're kind of worried about? Is there anyone else you're worried about looking at Fulham's squad? Mitrovic would be the one, but every time Joe Mitrovic plays for Fulham, but every time we switch Fulham on, he's not playing. So I, I, I don't know if he's actually playing for them. But Just I've, comes out I've, once I've, a year against us whenever, in the, whenever they're in the yeah, ground, to be fair. He's a, he, I, I like him. He's a good striker. He'd be someone, if I was Scott Parker, I would get the ball up too quickly. He won't, but I would get the ball up to uh, Mitrovic quickly. I think Tom Kearney's okay. I, I think he's been used a bit more under um, Parker than he was Shakanovic in the Premier League. Um, Parker, and I'm not, I'm not big on Luckman, as people know, but I mean, if I don't like him, he's probably going to play well against us. I didn't, I, I did nothing but been on Bournemouth for about four years, but he beats us every year. So, <laughs> I mean, it means absolutely nothing if I don't like him. Um, so yeah, he would be one I'd look at because he's he's good in the final thirds. Obviously, we get a, a run on a, a defender. Um, apart from that, they're just they're just the championship players mostly. I think Loftus Cheek. I don't mind him. I think he's decent. Um, hasn't done anything in his career. <laughs> he's on a hundred grand a week, and I can't think of a player who's no. But done, think, has, has he has he even got a hundred senior appearances? To be honest, any any kind of positivity, I judge on Loftus Cheek would be his last sort of form of Palace when he was on there alone and he was really good there. I think apart from that, he's done nothing. <laughs> but I think if he can get to that level, he is a decent player. But he's never reached it apart from four months of Palace, so it depends. I think they've got some all right players for him, but there's no one who really stands out for me in that team. I think even defensively, Tim Ream, he was when he was there when Bolton was shy, weren't he? So I mean, yeah, we'll see. Lamina, that centre midfielder they've got, he's been around for about a while, hasn't he? Didn't he used to play for Juventus and then he ended up at Southampton? I, I, and now he's to be honest, home. I completely forgot he went there. Yeah, he's he's there. He's a he's a, a solid player. He I, he was at Juventus for a little while. Wasn't a star at Juventus by any stretch. He was just a sub. Player squad option, but he was okay at Southampton. I'm surprised that Fulham got him out of Southampton. To be honest, I don't know what happened there. Whether the sold, sold him and Hoiberg, I'm surprised by that. that to be honest, I, I think I don't. I don't think Lamine wanted so. I don't think he works hard and to play for um, Ralph. I think you've got to work hard. So maybe there's something in that. And he's gone to Fulham and Parker might think he can get a tune out of him. He's definitely a good footballer because every time I've seen him play. He's looked good on the ball, and that's just whether you, whether you can get a tune out of him or not. I think that they're obviously a, a decent team for him because they've come up from the championship twice, and to do that, you've got to have something about you in terms of character, especially for the ones who've been there a while. It's just they've struggled so far this season, but we'll see. They've got a lot of grit, I think. As you say, you can't come up from the championship without it, but they just lack the quality. And it's not because they haven't got players in their squad who haven't got any quality about them. It's just they can't seem to be put together and and, and sort of mesh and find a way of playing that suits all of them. And I don't, some of that... I don't, yeah, go on. So I was just going to say, you can blame the manager for that, but maybe that's not fair because, as we've said, he's so inexperienced and he's learning. Yeah, I, I don't think they're great defensively at all. I've, I've watched them a bit in the Championship and I've seen them so far this season. They seem a team that can be passed through quite easy, and maybe because that they were out without a few key players. But I just don't think Scott Park as a coach who defensively got it right so far. There, I think in the championship when you've got Mitrovic and McKenney and all that who've been around that division and a bit too good for that division at times, you can get away with it. But 
when you come to the Premier League and teams just counter-attack one goal. I watched Fulham, funnily enough, against Crystal Palace the other week. Fulham, for the first 10 minutes, I took like 90% possession. Palace, one counter-attack, it was 1-0. So they need to, they need to become a bit more streetwise, I think, in the Premier League. Yeah, for me, they're a less organised Brighton. There's nothing particularly good about them at all, but if they can just organise themselves and find a way that suits a style of play that suits their best players, they'll probably pick up a lot of points, whether they deserve them or not. They're just too easy to play against, and they've got too many individuals. I uh, I think I think Fulham and Brian are in a similar boat in terms of every time you watch them play, they look like they're in control of a game, but they never get any points from the games because lapses of concentration mostly in just cheap goals, and then in the final third, they don't seem to take the chances either. Um, I think it's a bit of muddled thinking there going on a phone. They'll have to sort it out if they want to stay up at some point. But at the moment, it, it looks like confidence pretty low there. I think conf- you know confidence is low when in the last minute of the last game, Buckman steps up and Penenka's a penalty in the last minute. I I, mean, I'm, shocked but- he, I'm shocked he even took that, to be honest. I, I know he's one of these characters where he likes for it to be all about him type thing. But I'm surprised... That one of the senior players didn't grab the ball off him and say, "No, get lost. You, you've been here two minutes. You're not taking the responsibility. Give it to give it to the captain or give it to one of the players who's been around a long while. I'll smash it in." I don't know if Mitrovic was on the pitch. If he was on the pitch, he asked to take it. I don't know if he's any good at penalties, but he's a striker. He's got a good record in front well, of goal. Well, well, he's just missed a crucial penalty for his country, so they're not going the autos now. It was him who missed the deciding penalty against Scotland, wasn't it? Right, okay. Just put anyone but Luckman's Penenka's on yeah. it. So, now that Mitrovic has basically just cost his team a spot at the Euros next year, expect him to have the game of his life as well. Yeah. Yeah, no. so just to just to round off the video there, because um if you wanna if you want to go and see more detail about the Fulham squad, definitely check out our opposition view we did with Fulham Focus. Um he can tell you he he, he spoke to me, he told us all about how Fulham might line up, uh, what he thinks his predictions are. But in terms of our predictions, I'll kick it off. Two 0 win. Um, we need to get back to winning ways, although it is on a Sunday on TV, um, which we never seem to do well. And we, I don't think we've had a brilliant record on there for years. Owen, what are your predictions going into the game? No, I have a horrible feeling, but uh, I'll, I'll be calm, I'll be positive and say three one Everton. Three one Everton for Owen then, Paul. I'll go for three 0 it won't be like a, it won't be an easy three 0 There'll be a lot of the game where it will look even, but I just think the breaks will fall to us and our quality will see us through. So I'll well, go for three yeah, nil. Maybe, maybe a scrap, scrappy first hour, but then we'll probably pull away from them in the final twenty minutes or so. Yeah, this is a game we definitely should be winning, especially coming off um, the, the poor form before the international these, break. These, these next three games, I think we need to be winning the three of them, or at least seven points from them, because. If we want to finish in the in the top, in the European places, that the three games we should be looking to get three points in. But now we go into our Toffee Blues quiz, as always. And today it's another lineup quiz. We're going to pit Owen against Paul. Uh, both just speaking to them there, neither sound confident, so I'm not sure how long this quiz is going to last, but we're, we're going to see nonetheless. Um, take you back to maybe a darker time in all of our lives. 2018, Sam Allardyce is the manager. Uh, we go away to oh, Stoke. No. It's freezing cold. It's snowing. Oh, I love this Luckily, game. Cheng Tosin turns up uh, with a brace. We win 2-1. Charlie Adam gets sent off. Um, PSG and Bayern Munich finest Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting got the goal for Stoke City, uh, which feels weird to say now, but it is one of our lineup quizzes. Um, oh, I, I would this, flip a coin if I had one to hand, but uh, and I don't. This is the and game, I isn't it? I can tell you this, something about this game. The, the ball was in play for about four minutes to the 90 minutes. I remember this game because it was like snowing, I think, or very heavy sleet. And Allardyce had like a runny nose <laughs> ran his tongue <laughs> over his head. Teddy always brings that up. It never ceases to amaze. <laughs> so it, it is one of our lineup Boston. quizzes. Uh, if you don't know the rules, um, the lad's going to take it in turns to name a player from the Everton side who, of course, started. You are allowed to use you substitutions, of which there were three. Uh, so you've got 14 players to choose from. Uh, as I mentioned, I don't have a coin to flip. But, Paul, I'm going to let you go first. Um, Paul? Take it away. Who do you want first? I have mentioned one of the players that's already played. Actually, all right. Well, that we'll get rid of. Yeah, we can't. We can't have him. Chosen. 
Shane Tosin, okay. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm saying we can't have him. You've already can't, told can't us. Can't have him, okay. 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 Um, We've got him anyway. He scored. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jordan Pickford. Jordan Pickford did start in goal. Uh, un. Now I know for a fact Yannick Bellassi played. Of course he did. Yannick Bellassi has number seven started on the left wing. Uh, Paul. Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney did start. I think he was playing in that kind of central midfield role that Alan Yeah, the, the number six, do. like the, the sitter, yeah. 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 Oh, um, oh, sorry, next. Idrissa Gay. Idrissa Gay, sadly, yeah. I, I miss him every single day, but he did start that game, Paul. What a guy. Um, <laughs> Michael Keane. Michael Keane did start in the centre of defence, yeah, Owen. Um, it's pressure on every um, every name. Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott. He did start on the right wing. Yep. Yeah. I, I hope we don't start naming players at the same time because I've forgotten to cross them off here as I usually do. But I'm going to try and best, try my best to remember. Paul. My best, my best friend. Player I love more than any other Everton player. Guilty Sigurdsson. And that's the end of the quiz. Guilford Sigson was not in the squad for there. Um, actually, it's not the end of the quiz because, as I always say with uh, Terry, I like to play by the rules. Owen, if you don't get this one, then Paul's going to have a chance to come back in. Owen, can you win it yeah. here with a, with a final player? I'm going to see it with Tom Davis. Tom Davis, yes, he did start. Um, he just to round off that. Oh, well, now, while you choose your end of quiz music, I don't know, Paul, do you want to try and rattle off any more names while we think of a, um... think of a song? I'm trying to think, of, that was the summer that we bought a load of shiny new players and just none of them worked, wasn't it? Um, it was, yeah. Um, right. There are three defenders left, got the rest of the outfield players, um, was, not and then was, three. Was, was Seamus Coleman back by that point? I think he Seamus was. Seamus Coleman did start the game, yeah. yeah Two other Coleman defenders. Just come back. Um, There's a defender on the bench as well and a midfielder runner forward who came off. On, who was partner of Michael Keane? Was it Phil Jagielka? It was Phil Jagielka, yeah. Then left, left back, back, you haven't got yet. Leighton. Of course it was Leighton Baines, then onto the bench. Uh, you've got a midfielder, attacker and a defender. Calvert-Lewin. Calvert-Lewin did come off the bench, yeah. Um, Stecklenberg was on the bench, he didn't come off at all. Um, Joel Robles was on the bench, actually. Was he? He was, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I thought he'd gone by that, by that point. I didn't think Robles was here under all of Um who else? Klassan, was he on the bench or was he a non Klassan was on the bench, but he didn't come on. And we'll just get these ones out of the way. Cuco Martina and Numanias did not come off the bench, but they were on there. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said them and not me, mate. <laughs> um, and so, Wasn't what, we're Cooper looking for one more midfielder who played. One more midfielder. Everyone loved him before he... I'll give you... Morgan Schneider. Morgan Schneider, yeah, as number two. And then a final defender. Prick. Ashley Williams. No, Ashley Williams wasn't in the squad for this game. Funes Mori. Prick. No Funes Mori, no. Um, but Ashley Williams, I hated him. Who was there then? Jagielka, Keane. This lad has just come back from injury to work his way back into the squad for us. Mason Hallgate. Mason Hallgate, yeah. He came off the bench as well. So Calvert Lewin and Mason Hoggett come off the bench there, two of our arguably two of our most important players when they're both fully fit at the moment. Uh, this was the game Charlie Adam got sent off because he didn't want to be on the pitch, yeah, that's right. It was, yeah. So Owen, have you uh, have you thought of a song to round us off with? Champagne Supernova. Champagne Supernova, brilliant song. So thank you all very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed all the content and the quiz at the end. Uh, it went on longer than I expected. Bear in mind, Paul and Owen, just before we start recording, told me uh, they both always lose whenever they play the quiz uh, and they never manage to yeah, get normally the Yeah, normally because it's a bloody Europa League game from 2008, I didn't watch. But that's part of the magic, you know. That's part of the magic of the Toffee Blues quiz. It's, me it's meant to be a game you've absolutely never heard of in your life. Uh, so thank you very much to Owen and Paul oh. for joining me on the quiz there. Um, Paul, have you got something to add just before we finish? No, I was just going to say, I remember these games. I just don't like to think about them. How could you forget when Sam Allardyce was Everton's manager? Licking his snot. <laughs> so there you have it. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone who committed, uh, committed, contributed to the uh, podcast today. 
James, Terry, Owen, Dan, Paul. Uh, so thank you all very much for listening. Uh, be sure to check out the link that you can find on Twitter and in all the YouTube videos uh, where we're linking our, our link to the Everton store. It is coming up to Christmas if you think about buying any Everton-themed gifts for your family or friends. Definitely check out through that link. It helps the channel a lot and we really would appreciate it. So thank you very much for listening and join us next time on the Toffee Blues. In a champagne supernova A champagne supernova in the sky Wake up the dawn and ask her why A dream, a dream, she never dies Wipe that terror Bye-bye.